name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. The English language is, uh, is kind of, no, I, I had filled with paradoxes, but that's not really true. There are paradoxes in the English language. And if you don't know what a paradox is, a paradox is a statement that is seemingly absurd or self-contradictory or, or a proposition which upon investigation proves to be well-founded and true. So here's some examples for you. Uh, I am a compulsive liar. So if that's true, then, then I, what I just said is false, right? Because I just spoke the truth. I'm a compulsive liar, right? So that's a paradox. Is it true or not? Uh, you can save money by spending it. That's a paradox. You say, well, well how, can you, how can you save money by spending it? Well, if you spend money on insulation in your house, you end up saving money in the long run, right? So even though it sounds like a paradox can't be true, saving money by spending it is true. Here's one from uh, George Orwell's 1984. He says, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others, right? That's a paradox. And what he meant by that is that all people are, are equal, but the government doesn't necessarily treat us all the same. Here's, a com- uh, here's one that's kind of comedic. It's, uh, uh, here's a guy who says, I'm in total control, but do not let my wife find out. <laughs> and uh, here's another one. I'm going to start thinking positive, but I know it won't work. Uh, here's one. I don't know if you'll get this one. Here's one. A linguistic professor is lecturing, and he makes the statement. He says, and I quote, in English, a double negative forms a positive, but in some languages, such as Russian, a double negative is still a negative, an emphatic negative. However, in no language in the world can a double positive form a negative. And from the back of the room, there was this, yeah, right. But the English language isn't the only thing that's got paradoxes in it. The kingdom of God also has paradoxes. Actually, I would say to you, it has many paradoxes. So that we might even could say honestly this morning that the kingdom of God is really the upside down kingdom. That a lot of things in the kingdom of God work opposite of what you'd find in the world today. And this isn't just something for us. This is top down. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, if you're our guest, we're, we're, we're doing this kind of mini-series on the kingdom of God. And one of the things we said a couple of weeks ago is that we have a king who would die for us. You know, most, in most kingdoms of the world, we die for the king, right? I mean, he's the top dog, and, and he expects us to lay down our life for him. And though, even though Jesus does ask us to lay down our lives for him, he is first laying down his life for us. So he's the king who's willing to die for his subjects. Though he was rich, he became poor. You know, this is top down, everyone. Paradoxes of the kingdom. Though he was a king, he became a servant. You know, and that might seem strange, but it really ought not be strange to us when we recognize that the operating character quality of God, I believe anyway, is his love. The Bible says, God says, I am love. It doesn't say he has love. He says, I am love. God is love. And so this is his operating character quality. And and so he tells us to do things like love our enemies. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment or choose humility over power. But this morning, what I'd like to do for just a few moments with you is I'd like to I'd like to look at some of the paradoxes in the scripture about the kingdom of God as they apply to us. 
And, and my hope by doing this, I'm, I'm going to look at four, four paradoxes. And my hope by doing this is that at the end of this time together this morning, you'll have a better understanding of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and how we should live out our faith and, and what the kingdom of God is like. So that's my goal. Let's dive in. Here's the first paradox that I want you to see. If you want to save your life, you must lose it. Paradox. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. So here's Jesus in Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? That sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Whoever wants to save his life has to lose it. Wait a minute, I want to save my life. How is it that I have to lose it? How does, how does this paradox work? Well, it works like this. I want you to understand that most of the world doesn't believe this to be true, and I think maybe even a lot of Christians don't believe what I'm about to say to be really true. But here's what God declares. God declares that we all die because of sin. You know, Doug has died. And Doug died because of his sin. And in the same way, all the rest of us are going to die because the wages of sin is death. And uh, all of us know that. And at some level, I'd say all of us even fear that. You know, I'd like to think that those of us that know Jesus have lost all fear. And the Bible says that God has not given us a fear, I mean, a, a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but one of one that we declare with our hearts that, you know, we are the children of God. But that being said, I think even for those of us who follow Jesus, there's a little bit of fear connected with the whole idea of, of death. But God nonetheless, nonetheless declares that we're going to die because of our sin. Now, at the same time, now, follow, follow my logic, if you would. At the same time, God didn't create us to die. That wasn't his original intent. He didn't want us to die. In fact, I think he had hoped that we'd walk in obedience that would lead to eternal life from the very beginning. So he put this God-given desire in us to live. Now, unfortunately, because we all know that we're going to die, we turn that desire to live into a desire to live as long as we can, and we turn that desire to live into, I want to live even if I have to step on you to live. I want to live even if it, even if it means, you know, I, I have to take advantage of you or put you down so that I can live. And, and not just live, but I can live a life where I have lots of things going for me. And we call this, if you would, the kingdom of self. I'm going to call it the kingdom of self. And that means that our lives are above the lives of others. Even our lives are more important than, than the life of God within us or God himself. In the kingdom of self, here's what we desire to gain. We desire to gain popularity and pleasure and possessions and wealth and status because even though we won't admit it, we're concerned that this is all there is, that death is going to be the end of me. And so, so we want to live our, if you would, we want to live our best life now. And we want to live our best life now, even if it means, again, having to put you down in order to achieve that. Now, the upside down kingdom of God, it runs contrary to the kingdom of self. And in the statement that I read you just a moment ago from Luke, in that statement, Jesus clearly says that if you live for the kingdom of self now, in the end, it's going to result in your permanent death. It's going to result in your 
and your death and you're not living. He wants to give us eternal life, but we're going to lose our lives if we live for our lives now. Now, I know I read you this quote a lot. I mean, this scripture a lot. So forgive me for that. But it's just, you know, I don't have a life verse, but I guess if I had one, this would probably be for me. Do, no, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. That's Philippians chapter 2. And listen, everyone, that's the upside-down kingdom of God. That's the upside-down kingdom that's in opposition to the kingdom of self. In the kingdom of God, we're told not to live for our best self now. We're told in the kingdom of God to deny ourselves now, to even be willing to give up our lives now. He's simply telling us, don't live for your best life now. And if you do live for your best life now, you don't get life at all. Actually, if you live for your best life now, you lose your life. But if you're willing to lose your life, you're going to gain it. So how does, how does that work? How is it that giving my life away serving others, preferring others, loving God first, loving others above myself. How does that end up in me saving my life? Because here's what God says. He says, because I'm going to save your life. I'm going to save your life in death, and I'm going to give you your life back. And not only am I going to give you your life back, I'm going to give you your life back. Now listen to this. I mean, it's great, everybody. Not only am I going to give you your life back, but I'm going to give you your life back in immortality. Well, you're never going to have to worry about death again. And not only am I going to give you your life back in immortality, but I'm going to give you your life back in a paradise that's restored. And listen, you know, there's a verse in the Bible, and you know it. It says, I has not seen nor ear heard all that God has prepared for us. And we, we like to quote that verse and say that this paradise that God's got prepared for us, man, we don't know what it involves, right? And that is true. But that verse, by the way, in context, it goes on to say, but God has revealed it to us, right? So the context of that verse is exactly the opposite of how we use it. I has not seen nor ear heard, but God has revealed it to us what, what's coming in paradise. That's the context. But yet there, there's still a, there is still a truism about that, that we don't know all that's going to be in paradise. But here's a few things that are going to be in paradise. We're going to walk face to face with God. I'm serious, everyone. I mean, we, we, we know God now and, and we walk with God and his spirit is in us and we have a relationship with him and we are not separated from him. You've heard me tell that story. We are not separated from him, not one, well, not one minute. But there's coming a day when you're going to get to see Jesus face to face. And the great thing about the kingdom of God, that's the best thing about the kingdom of God. It really is that you're going to know God in such a way you're going to walk with him. And I, I don't know what sort of relationship we're going to have with Jesus, but, but it's going to be one in which we're, we can touch him because we're physical creatures and we're going to be able to touch him. And I'm assuming that he's going to hug us. And I'm assuming that we're going to be able to have dinner with him. And I mean, there's going to be a lot of us. So I don't know how that's going to be. But the kingdom of God's going to have this personal touch with God. But here's another thing that we're going to get to see our loved ones again. We're going to, we're going to be with each other. And y'all know I say this a lot, but we're going to be with each other. And we're grieving now because Doug is gone. But like, like David said, we'll see 
dug again. We'll see him again. And not only will we see him, but we will be together again, never to be separated with all of our loved ones, with everyone who has, has perished. They haven't perished because he who believes in the Son does not perish, but has eternal life. And God will raise them from the dead. So if you want to save your life, don't live in the kingdom of self now. Let go of your life. Give your life up. Live your life for others. And God says, and I will save your life. And I will give it back to you. And it'll be more wondrous than you can ever imagine. Here's the second paradox. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be someone who is willing to serve others. I'm trying to find another verb for serving, right? Who's willing to, to just minister to others. There's a different word. One of the things you have to appreciate about Jesus' merry men, his band of merry men, is that they were just guys like us. Don't you appreciate that? They really were. They were just flawed guys like us. And I think one of the reasons the Bible includes all of their flaws is so none of us can say, oh yeah, that was just a real supernatural great group right there. I think God includes all of their flaws so we can say, wow, man, they're just like me. And I don't know whether these two brothers sent their mom or she did it on her own, but she went to Jesus and she said, Hey, when you come into your kingdom, can my two boys have the spots at your right and left? And, and of course, when everybody else finds out what they've come and asked, I mean, they get upset and they grumble. And I've always said they got upset because they didn't think of it first. That's what I've always thought. But, uh, but here, let's pick up that story. Here's what Jesus said. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them over and he said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, that is the, the rulers in the nations today, um, they lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. Once again, here's this paradox that seems unsolvable because Jesus says, if you want to be great, be a servant. And that's not how it works in the kingdoms of this world. In the kingdoms of this world, if you're great, if you're a great man or a great woman in the kingdoms of this world, here's what you have. You have authority and you have power and you have popularity and you have money. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be great in my upside down kingdom, those things don't make you great like they do in this world. What makes you great in my kingdom is that you're willing to serve others. You're willing to give your life to minister to others. Um, and I think this is part of that, that, you know, the whole theme, by the way, the whole theme of our, of our series is the kingdom is now but not yet idea, in which that the kingdom of God has come, and we are part of the kingdom of God. If you follow Jesus, you're in his kingdom now, okay? But there's coming a day when the kingdom of Jesus is going to be realized because he's going to step back onto our planet, and he's going to rule the world. And in that day, the kingdom of God will be realized, and it'll be different than it is now. But the kingdom has come. And I think what Jesus, in this paradox, there's, there's, some, there's some of that idea that the kingdom is not yet. So the great men and women among us are the, are the ones who don't set their eyes on the world today, but they set their eyes on the kingdom of God, and, and they're willing to serve. And can I tell you, people like that, they're not on the world's radar, 
If you don't have the things I mentioned, power, money, prestige, popularity, if you don't have those things, you're not on the world's radar of being anybody great. But can I say this, and let's, let's be honest, you know, most people like that, they're not even on our radar. I mean, the people who are not up front, that nobody sees, who are laying down their life day by day, moment by moment to serve others, who are actually on God's radar, who are actually really great in the kingdom of God, they're not on our radar. We don't even see them. Paul, in one of his letters to the Corinthians church, you remember this? He says bodily discipline is of some value because it holds value in this life, right? But he, then he goes on to say, but godliness holds promise not only in this life, but also in the life to come. And in the same way, I think he's saying that about servanthood here. He's saying that serving, serving holds promise not only for this life, but service holds promise for the life to come. Because in the life to come, greatness in the kingdom now is going gonna, is gonna to translate into greatness in the kingdom of God when it's realized. And so, and so we will be great not only now in the kingdom of God in God's mind, but we'll be great in the kingdom of God to come in the realized kingdom of God. Those of us that are willing to serve and lay down our lives for others and serve us, we will, we will be great in the kingdom of God. Now there's other paradoxes that are really similar to this one. Here's one from 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, humble yourselves therefore before the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Service, humility leads to greatness and exaltation. Does that remind you of anybody? It ought to. It ought to remind you of our king. Remember top-down stuff? Remember that? Our king's the one who's willing to serve. He's the one who's willing to humble himself. And because of that, he's great and he's exalted. So here are two verses from Jesus himself. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Here's another one. Jesus, or this is not Jesus speaking. This is Paul speaking about Jesus. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me take Jesus as an example. Let me show you three things about the great people in the kingdom. Here's one. He's a servant who doesn't care if you know what he does for others, who he is. He doesn't care because he's not doing it for you. And so when you think about Jesus in that Philippians passage, you remember this? He did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself uh, of, of whatever he emptied himself of. But the idea is this. Jesus could have come as God, but he came as one of us. He didn't care that you didn't know that he wasn't God, right? He didn't care that people couldn't recognize him as the creator. He didn't care. And here's the thing about a great, a great person in the kingdom. They're a person who serves, and they don't care whether you know or not. They don't care whether you give them appreciation or accolades. And I am in no way saying that we shouldn't do that. We absolutely should do that to every servant. We should be the ones who praise them. But at the end of the day, they don't care because they're not serving so that you'll praise them. They're serving because they, they're serving for God, because they're great in the kingdom of God. Here's another thing. She's a servant who's willing to sacrifice her status, her treasures, her position in order to serve. That Philippian passage goes on to say that Jesus divested himself, emptied himself of whatever, and became a servant, didn't come into the world as king of kings, he came into the world as just a little babe born in a mud, 
in a, in a mud stall, I guess, maybe, or maybe the, the basement of a room, who knows, but it's, a, it's a, where the animals were. He comes into the world like that. He's willing to give up all of those things in order to serve. You see, the great people in the kingdom of God, they, they're willing to let go of, of things that they value, their treasures, their position, even their time, that sort of thing to serve. Here's a third one. They are servants whose whole life is one of servants, not a moment and not an event. I tell you what, when I wrote this down, guys, man, this is, this is from God. You know, the, the great ones in the kingdom of God are not the people who serve one time in the nursery and say, well, I've done my duty now. They're not the one event, I mean, the one time thing. And they're not the one event thing either. Hey, I did that event, you know, it was a whole six months or I served for a whole year in some way or whatever. I've done my bit. No, the servants, the ones like Jesus, hey, they, the ones who are great in the kingdom, they serve their entire lives all the way to the end. And you know why? Because it says that Jesus served all the way to the point that he died, laid down his life in death. So the great servants, and here's the paradox, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then be a servant. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, serve like Jesus, who didn't care that you knew, who was willing to let go of everything to serve us, and then who didn't hold back all the way to the very end. You be a servant all the way to the end. Now, I realize that, that we need breaks and we need changes. I get that. Um, but being... A, Great in the kingdom of God and the servant thing is you never step away from being a servant. You, you never step away from it. You, you're always coming back to it. You might need a break, but you're always coming back to it because that's what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. You know who was great in the kingdom of God? Doug was great in the kingdom of God. And obviously I'm saying that because Doug's not here. Probably wouldn't say it if he was sitting here at the front with Sue. But, uh, but, uh, and not because I wouldn't have meant it. But, but Doug's on our mind. And uh, Doug, Doug was someone who always served. And this morning in prayer time, right, people were talking about that in their prayers, about the humility and service of Doug. Doug was that. Number three, paradox. Give in order to receive. And this is maybe similar to the previous paradoxes, but in my selfishness, sometimes I hoard my possessions in order to increase my own blessings. All right? So follow me here. If I save more money that I receive from my job, then I can spend more on myself later. Right? More blessings for me. Or if I'm efficient with my time, then I, I can have more me time later and I can sit in front of the TV and I can, uh, what's that? I can binge watch my show, whatever it is that I'm watching, right? Now, each of those examples are uh, stewarding our gifts that God has given us. And I'm not trying to say it's wrong for us to save our money or to use our time efficiently. But what I am trying to say is the paradox here is that if we want to receive, we've got to be givers. Instead of, instead of saving for ourselves and hoarding for ourselves, we, 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 we save so that we can give. Jesus said, or it was said that Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when we hardly make enough money to pay our bills, or we pay our bills and we have just a little bit left over, it, it just seems kind of foolish not to save it, to spend on myself, right? And yet, in that Jesus said, here's Luke chapter 6, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. 
In Jesus' upside-down kingdom, here's what he says. He says, generosity leads to receiving. And giving leads to getting. Now, I have, to, I have to interject this, okay? I have to interject this. When I say things like that, I'm not saying what a bunch of TV preachers are saying. I'm not saying you give so that you can become extremely wealthy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, here's the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. If you, if you are generous in giving, God gives so that you can be more generous, I mean, it's, it's never so supposed to be like I'm just this vessel that God just pours in so I can use it on myself. I, I'm supposed to be a conduit by which God pours in as I give out and just as quickly as he's giving and I'm pouring out. So in the letter to the church at Corinth, Paul would say this. He would say this very thing. He says, God has given to you so that you in turn can be generous with others. But, but, but in this paradox, I think there's another dimension to the paradox. So in this world, in the kingdom of God now, while I'm living my life now, God is giving so that I can receive, so that I, I, I am giving so that God, I can receive so that I can be giving more. That's how, that's how Ann and I try to operate. And, and, and I'm even struggling that we're not operating in that deep enough. And you know that because it comes out when we talk about this. But but I think there's something to the kingdom is now, but not yet as well. So you remember the story where the rich guy comes to Jesus and, and they have this interchange and he walks away sad because he's very rich. And Jesus makes a statement about the rich guy. And he says, you know, it's, it's harder for, it's really hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. And he doesn't tell us why that's true. I, I think it might be true because the upside down kingdom of God is all about dying to the kingdom of self and living to the king of kings, right? So I think that might have something to do it with it when you have a lot of resources and wealth. And by the way, and again, I'm not trying to make us feel bad. I promise you I am not. But we're in the 90th, 90th percentile of the richest people in the world. I, I just think this, this should just make us take note. But in the story, Jesus says, you know, it's hard for the rich people to get in. And then Peter makes this statement. He says, Lord... We've, we've given everything for you. What about us? And here's how, and you know, we could, well, what about Peter's motives and all of that? We could question that. But I really just want you to see how Jesus answers them. This is what he says. And Jesus said to Peter and to his disciples, listen, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, in other words, when the kingdom of God is realized on earth, you who have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's for them, so whatever that meant. But here's for us. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or father and mother, children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. So many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now here's, here's my point. Because I believe that the kingdom now, there, this paradox of giving to receive works now. But I think Jesus is telling us that in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom in its realization, God will not be, he'll not be the undergiver, if you would. He says, everyone who has given will receive a hundredfold 
that which they have given. So if you want to receive, he's not, I don't think he's necessarily slamming us for wanting to re- He just simply says, if you want to receive, be a giver. And you'll receive in life now so that you can continue to more. And you will receive in the renewal of all things, a hundredfold that which you've given. Now here's the question that I want to ask you. And don't just brush me off. Here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if I believe it, then I'm going to live not to to get my best life now. I'm going to live so as to give away my life now so that I might receive all that God has in store for us in the kingdom when it's realized. And let Jesus guard my treasure with him in heaven. Do you believe that if I seek first the kingdom of God, do you believe it? That if you seek first the kingdom of God, God will add everything to you that you need. Do you really believe that? Now listen, the atheist and the unbeliever says, you know what they say, don't you? They say that is pie where? Pie in the sky. That's pie in the sky. Why would you do that? In a bird in the hand, we're two in the bush. I mean, that's a that's what we say, right? If I got him in my hand trying to catch two in, two in the bush, that's harder, right? See, this is where faith comes in. We operate on faith, everyone. We are willing to believe that Jesus is Lord. And we are willing to believe that what he said is true. And we are willing to believe that he conquered death. And we are willing, listen, to lay down our lives for him day by day by being a servant instead of trying to be great in this kingdom, in the kingdoms of this world, by trying to, by being willing to lay down our resources, giving them freely because we know that he will not be outgiven by us. We're willing to lay down our lives, our selfishness, because we know that to give up our life is to save our life. Here's my last one and I'm done. Um, Love the ones you hate and hate the ones you love. Love the one. This is a paradox of the kingdom of God. Love the ones you hate and hate the ones you love. Actually, that's two paradoxes. And I'm combining them into a really giant paradox. Let's divide them into two. Here's the first one. Love the ones you hate. In this paradox, it seems not nonsensical, but Jesus tells us to love our enemies. To love the people who have wronged us. To do good to those who have hurt us. Whatever the perceived wrong. Jesus said the way we approach our enemies, the ones we hate, is different. We don't hate them. We're willing to love them. Here's Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, that that just doesn't make any sense, does it? And yet that's what he tells us to do. Paul Paul would reiterate that in his letter to the Roman church. He would say, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So instead of looking to revenge your the wrongs committed to you, Jesus says, Paul says, we conquer them by love. You want to defeat your enemies? Conquer them with love. The kingdom of God is upside down. We're called to love the people that generally the world would hate. And here's the other side of the equation. Hate the ones you love. Here's Jesus again, Luke chapter 14. Now great 
crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and he said to them, If anyone wants to come after me does he, and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, it doesn't take much to note that that is antithetical to what I just said about loving our enemies. But we intuit in our hearts that that's not literally what Jesus means, right? We know that can't be what Jesus means. So how do we understand that paradox? Well, we understand that paradox because it's really a Jewish idiom. It's communicating greater love or preference or choice. It's not communicating emotional uh, hatred. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 20, 21, verse 15, I'm sorry. If you have a King James, it'll translate it like this. And this is about polygamous marriages in the Old Testament. If you have two wives, one beloved and the other, and the other hated. Well, it doesn't mean that a person who had two wives hated one and loved the other. It meant that one was loved less than another. That's what it meant. And so we have that in, uh, in the story of Jacob with his two wives, Leah and Rachel. It says uh, Rachel he loved and Leah he hated. But then it turns around just a few minutes later and says, God says that Leah is less loved than Rachel. So it doesn't mean emotional hatred. Um, the law is indicating rather a preference or a choice. So when Je what Jesus is literally saying here is that in the kingdom, in this upside down kingdom, we must choose him over our parents. And we must choose him over our children. And we must choose him over every relationship. No matter how much we emotionally love them, we choose him over them. And again, let's go back to what does love mean, right? Love is not just the emotional thing. In fact, we said love is a verb, right? Love does. Love is about a preference or a choice or choosing to act a certain way. So what Jesus is saying is that we have to choose God first. We got to choose God first and over every other relationship in our life. So let me ask you this question to ponder. And I'm only going to give you a second to ponder it, but here's the question. Is it right for Jesus to ask such exclusivity of us? Does he have the right to ask you to love him above everybody, everything else? Does he have a right to do that? I pondered that question. Let me, let me give you my answer to that. I, I would say yes, he does. And he does for three reasons. One of them is... The vir by virtue of his nature, he's my creator. He has a right to ask me to choose him because he made me. He has the right to say, Jimmy, I want you to choose me above every other relationship because I made you. I'm your creator. I think he has a right to ask me this because of his character. And his character is one that he prefers, he chose to prefer me over himself. He was willing to lay aside the glories of his heaven to become like me so as to redeem me. So he has a right to ask me to preference him because he preferenced me. I think he has a right to ask me that. And, and uh, the third reason I think he has a right to ask you and me to love him above everyone else, to choose him above everyone else, is by virtue of his sacrifice. Because not only did he prefer me, but he sacrificed everything for me, even his own life. He was willing to sacrifice for me. So he has a right to ask that of me. Here's the paradox. Hate the ones you love. You know, I'm excuse me, I said it wrong. Love the ones you hate. 
Love, choose them, choose to be kind and good to them when you have an emotional hatred for them. And the other one, hate the ones you love, choose to prefer God over them. Now, I started off, and I'm done, so just give me a couple more minutes. I started off telling you that the kingdom of God was the upside-down kingdom. But it, it occurred to me that it's only upside-down as it relates to the kingdoms of this world, right? What if the kingdom of God isn't the upside-down kingdom? What if the kingdom of God is the right-side-up kingdom? And all of our kingdoms are wrong. What if, what if the right side up is what should be who we are as part of the kingdom? What if that is what real life is all about? You following me here? What if the kingdom of Jesus is the right side up kingdom and every kingdom this world is upside down? Here's what that means. That means that in the right side up kingdom, we care about Jesus more than we do ourselves. We love him more than we love ourselves and even more than we love anyone else. In the right side up kingdom of God, we care about others as at least as much as I care about myself. But I think we care about one another more. What if in the right side up kingdom of Jesus, right? And in the realized kingdom to come, you will by nature care more about the people around you than you do yourself. What if that's the right side up kingdom? In the right side up kingdom of God, we serve others. We're not in this for the kingdom of self. In the right side up kingdom of God, we give and we don't hoard. We bless rather than live selfishly. In the right side up kingdom, uh, you know, I want to be a part of the right side up kingdom. I want to live in the right side up kingdom now. And I think that's when we're talking about the kingdom of God is now. That's what he's asking you and me to do. He's asking you to live right side up, upside down from the world. You live right side up. And as you live right side up, then the people all around us will say, man, that's the kingdom that I want to be a part of. That's the kingdom I want to be a part of. I want to invite you this morning to be a part of the right side up kingdom. I want to invite you this morning to receive King Jesus, to open your, you said, Jimmy, I don't know how. Yeah, you do. Just open your heart and say, King Jesus, I want you to be my king. Right where you sit this morning, you can, you can do that. And for the rest of us that are already following Jesus, he's, he's our king. I invite you to live with all your heart in the right side up kingdom in a way that's upside down from the world. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for, boy, thank you for letting us be a part of your kingdom by faith. Thank you, Lord, that it's not an earned thing, that it's a gifted thing. Thank you, Lord, for uh, giving us your spirit to now change us and, and help us live upside down from the world. And how I pray that I would live upside down. How I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would live upside down. And that the world here in Surrey around us and, and those that are visiting us from wherever they are, Lord. But that the world would say, wow, you people are different, Lord. And they would want to know you, King Jesus. Lord, help us to live right side up in an upside down world. And Lord, for those that are here today that maybe just aren't a part of the kingdom of God. Lord, would you help them right now? By your spirit, just help them, Lord, receive you as their Savior. Father, we commit this morning to you and this entire day to you. We're, we're just committing it to you. We want to honor you from, from the beginning to the end. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.